Welcome to the Family of Grace Sermon for Sunday, February 2nd, 2020. In 1 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3, Paul is asking, What am I going to do with you? The lives of those in the church at Corinth are off the tracks. Sound familiar? Join us now because with the criticism comes answers for us all. So last week I, I made mention of one of those little shaming stories that I wasn't quite, quite ready to share with you. I thought of one today to share with you. So I don't know if you guys have ever thought that you were more mature than you came across to someone else. Perhaps that has never happened for you. Um, but let me share with you one of my stories. I was 20 years old and therefore I knew everything. Uh, I was in China as a missionary, therefore I had God figured out. And I was working with a guy named Andrew, who is my age, he's a fellow college student, uh, a friend, and we were living and working together in China for about a year uh, with the idea that we were going to save the Chinese. God had other plans. Uh, He was going to save us. But compared to Andrew, you know, yes, okay, he was taller, but I I generally like to think of myself as just a small tier, but, but a tier above my friend because because I was like that. And then there came the time that we went to a conference in Thailand. So if you're a missionary in a closed country, you can't exactly congregate with other missionaries in China. The government doesn't look kindly on that. So you all go to Thailand where you can worship together and be encouraged. And for people who are giving their lives to serving Jesus overseas, like this is so important to have fellowship with more than four people at a time. Um, It really matters. But if you're only there for a year, it's kind of like being on vacation. So, I mean, we were in a resort. There was a swimming pool. And I don't know if you knew where I was at in China, but the water was not something that you wanted to ever swim in, ever. Uh, So a swimming pool for me was really exciting. So I spent a vast portion of my time in that pool in between all the sessions, and I was regularly showing up late, like trying to sneak in the back door, soaking wet with a towel wrapped around my waist, and go and change, and then go sit down. And I thought it was cool, and didn't think much, nothing of it. But I got back um, from our trip, sat down, and checked my email, and this email popped up from someone I knew stateside, this girl whose parents were English teachers in China. So she's 1,500 miles north, or 1,000 to 1,500 miles north of me, has no idea that I've been to Thailand, but her first line of her email says, how was Thailand? And my heart just kind of stopped for a second because it's like, all right, she figured this out. Who else knows? And, and I just panicked. Well, it turns out that one, of, one group of people who were at that conference were her friends and went to school with her. And so they made the connection like, oh, you know, Jordan. And then the story came out. So there are these teenage girls at the conference that we were interacting with who were friends with this person on a new stateside. And according to them, Andrew, oh, Andrew was a tall, handsome, mature one. And, th- and then there was Jordan, the boy. <laughs> He's just so mature. He's coming in late, dripping wet, thinks that no one's noticing him, but everyone's laughing about it. He has no idea. Oh, oh it was a good laugh. It was a good time. I was all right. I was secure enough at 20 to not be too bothered by that particular one. 
Now, the other times when people let you know that you're acting immaturely are not always as easy to take. But yes, Andrew the man and Jordan the boy. Uh, yeah, it was good. It was good for me. Well, this morning, we're going to be in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And the reason I bring up this kind of shaming maturity story is because Paul is about to hit the Corinthians with a pretty strong rebuke. I mean, the letter started out innocuous enough. It seemed nice, like, hi, I'm Paul and Sylvanus. We're writing to you guys in Corinth, and to let you know, I always praise God for you. I thank him because he has enriched you in every way. Our faithful God has equipped you with everything you need for life with him, and on the day of Jesus Christ, you will be found blameless. Then he kind of gets into it, like, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to be of one mind that there be no divisions among you, because I've heard this reports that you are fighting over leaders. So some people say, like, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos or Cephas or Christ. And I want to let you know that makes no sense. Why would you divide over leaders? Who are they anyway? I'm pretty sure I wasn't crucified for you. I didn't baptize you in the name of Paul. So what's going on? Because Christ didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to preach the gospel. And not with eloquent words of wisdom, and there Paul puts his finger on another thing that the Corinthian church is struggling with. That they want to be wise in the ways of the world. They want to be the impressive kind of wisdom that gets noticed in the public sphere. Sophia, the Greek word for wisdom. Like this is rhetoric and impressiveness and, and showboating and one-upsmanship within the church. And Paul's like, if I came preaching Christ like that, I would empty the cross of its power. So he launches into his foolish dialogue. So we started with the foolish message. The the message of the cross is foolishness to the world. God was okay with that. And the people of the cross are fools by the world's standards. And God was okay with that too. And Paul's preaching by the standards of the world was kind of foolish because he determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And God was okay with that. So that the Corinthians' faith wouldn't be in human wisdom, but would be in the power of God. Then Paul steps to the side and he says, but guys, the message of the cross is God's wisdom. And we teach a wise message among the mature. So those of you who are here who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit know how much God has given to you. This is amazing. I know those natural world people, they don't get it. They still think it's foolish. But we, the mature, have the mind of Christ. <clears throat> and then, <clears throat> but brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit but as people who are still worldly. He's saying they're acting like a bunch of non-Christians here. You guys are like the world. You are not mature. He, he qualifies a little bit. You are mere infants in Christ. Not that you've lost your salvation. You're just a bunch of babies. <laughs> I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You've known Christ for several years now, and you're in spiritual infancy. We haven't even got to spiritual potty training yet. You guys are a bunch of babies, and that's sad. That's sad. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? For all their pretensions to be these high spiritual-minded people Paul's saying your behavior shows just how immature you are. <laughs> are you not acting like mere humans? 
I love that line. I heard it on the radio the other day. Yeah, after all, we're only human. This is not good enough for those who have the Spirit of God in them. Mere human is not good enough. Because when one of you says, I follow Paul, or I'm Paul's, or I belong to Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being mere human beings? And that's a low standard. There we go. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Not who, but what? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each his task. We're just workers. Like, we don't own this place. Doing what God has assigned us. I planted the seed. I was the one who came and told you the gospel at the first. Apollos watered it. He came after Paul, and he really encouraged the church and was powerful in refuting the Jews and proving from the scripture that Jesus was the Messiah. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. It's not about Paul. It's, it's not about Apollos. It's about God. So neither the one who plants Paul nor the one who waters Apollos is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. God's going to judge our works, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Are we catching the pattern here? It's not about leaders. It's about God to whom you belong and to whom we belong. Now, Paul ends with you are God's field, and then he switches metaphors, and he says God's building. So field, that's what we just talked about, building. We're going to talk about that next, but Let's just stop and talk about field work for a little bit. I was at a conference a couple weeks ago, and the guy who was running it was an old dairy farmer. And he's talking to a bunch of people who are in various aspects of church leadership. And he says, I have an advantage over all of you because I was actually a farmer. Like we, we look at passages like John 15, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Or 1 Corinthians 3, only God makes things grow. He says, that's true, and we need to acknowledge it. However, I have yet to meet a single farmer who goes and puts a bag of corn seed in the middle of the field and then leaves, expecting God to make things grow. So just unpack the analogy. There's a lot of hard work that still needs to be done. There's, there's tending the soil and planting the seed. There's watering and weeding. And yet after all the work and sweat and toil that you put into it, it's not about you. You don't make that grow. God makes that grow. Let, let's keep the right perspective here. By the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. So here Paul's picking up what he said earlier. My, my job, planting seed among you, that was the job God gave to me. And it was his grace. And now in a building analogy, I laid the foundation as a wise builder, as a skilled architect. And now someone else within your own community is building on it. But a warning. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And in context of one th through three, Jesus Christ crucified. That's the foundation of our faith. That God became a human being named Jesus. That he lived a sinless life. That he was crucified unjustly. 
put to death, buried in a tomb, and on the third day God raised him from the dead so that anyone who has faith in Jesus can be saved and forgiven of their sins and experience new life in God. And all they have to do is just turn from living life their own way and cast their lot in with Jesus and his people and you will be saved. We don't get beyond that. That is the basis upon which the entire church is built. And the Corinthians, these foolish, immature, worldly people are in danger of breaking that foundation because they're trying to build on the church in, with human wisdom. You're going to empty the cross of its power with divisions and quarreling. You guys are acting like the rest of the world. There's no distinction between the church of God and everybody else. Like You have just become one more flavor of ice cream in the economy of world religions. That's not what you're supposed to be. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, capital D, the day of Jesus Christ, the day of judgment, will bring it to light. And it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. My grandfather used to work in a welding shop, and guys would come in off the street asking for a job. And the application was rather simple. He gave them a piece of scrap metal, and he says, weld this to the table. And they would, and then he'd grab this heavy piece of scrap metal, and he'd just hit it as hard as he could. And if it broke off, they didn't get a job. And if it lasted, they got a job. They were rewarded. So the day of Jesus is going to come, and everything will be tested with fire. And so the materials he mentions, gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, are just things that will last and endure flame and things that will get burnt up. And he's talking about in the church and in life in general, we can spend our entire lives doing things that don't matter at all. We can give our lives and at the end of our days have nothing to show with it if we are not building with quality things on God's church. So especially those of you who have influence here and elsewhere, be careful how you big. This is God's house. This is his home. Don't you know that you are yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that, tape, are that temple. Later on, Paul will actually say that each one of you individually is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so because of that, you'll be called to live in sexual purity, to honor God with your bodies. But right now, he's not talking about us as individuals. He's talking about us as a church. We are God's temple, his building, his home. If you destroy this, and in context, if by dividing it, by arguing, by bickering, by trying to lay a foundation other than Jesus Christ crucified, God will destroy you. The Corinthian church has already, Paul will tell them later, you've already had people who have become sick. You have even had some people who have died because of the way that you are treating one another. This is serious business. I don't think Paul's trying to make a case about whether or not you can lose your salvation. I think he's trying to give the strictest warning to not mess 
with God's house. God loves his church. This is his home. It's being built. And as the owner of the home comes in one day finally to inspect the work, he's going to say, I like that, I like that, and that needs to go. You know, we're going to assess the contractors here. Like, oh, that was quality work. Good job. You'll be rewarded. Oh, that's not. That's not. And you're going to suffer loss. Though you might be saved yourself, escaping us through the flames. You're, you'll escape the fires of hell smelling like smoke by the skin of your teeth. Like, you barely made it, dude. We're glad you're here. But you labored your entire life with things that don't matter. I mean, even in a human perspective, we see this. I was a caregiver at a retirement home. And these are just non-Christians, and yet, even among them, it was amazing to watch how the values changed over time. There was a guy there in his 70s. He was a millionaire. He disappeared one day because he went down to the Ferrari store, paid cash for a Ferrari, and was heading to Mexico. That's a different story. But he was very wealthy. But in becoming very wealthy, he burned his marriage, he burned his family, he burned all the relationships with people close to him. Money doesn't matter. And that's, that's purely on a like, world standard. At the end of our days, we kind of understand that, though we all live differently. Like, it's going to be like that, only worse. God's going to come in and say, you have invested your life in things that are worthless. Or you can invest your life in things that will last. So because there's a testing, I think there's just a warning and an encouragement for all of us to do stuff that's going to matter with our life. It reminds me, um, I have a, a close friend whose brother one time made the claim that he was really happy that he'd spent so much time on Halo and Call of Duty because it mattered. No, no, it didn't, actually. Actually, not at all. Save for those few people who have become professional video gamers and are making, you know, crazy tons of money. No, it didn't matter. You wasted your time. He's in the real military now, so that's, there's a, a point in his favor, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. You just wasted your time. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think that you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. You are heading down the wrong track and you need to stop reverse, back up, and start behaving in ways that the world considers foolish. Because that's where you're going to find true wisdom, you bunch of babies. I, I'm getting a lot of mileage out of that one. I really like it. Yeah. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. And in here, Paul reverses it. He began with the wisdom of God, the message of the cross, is foolishness to the world. And now he's just turned the tables. And the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. As he says, uh, as it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. They don't amount to much. He's really not impressed by our smarts. In fact, he lays a trap for us. I did this to my daughter the other day. We had finished working in the kitchen and I was like, all right, who wants to lick the spatula? Who wants the bowl? And everyone saw that the spatula clearly had more. And so they're like, I want the spatula. And then Rihanna turns to Theodore and she says, Theodore, the bowl has more. I was like, great, Rihanna, then you can have the bowl. <laughs> oh, it was great. She was so smart. Just not quite smart enough. Uh, made me feel good as a dad. <laughs> it really did. 
It really did. On a, you know, more scary note, we, we just found out we had mice. I caught two ma- mice last night. Yeah, that was not good. But you, you lay the, cra- the traps, you know, where they're going to run. You catch them in the craftiness. God's like that. He has designed this so that all of human smarts and wisdom are not going to figure it out. Like, don't be impressed by it. Don't be wise in the ways of this world. It's going to end in destruction. Be a fool that you might actually become wise. And there's some beautiful irony here. So you got a quote, he catches the wise in his craftiness. It's from Job chapter 5. The other one's from Psalm 94. But in Job 5, the guy who's talking is this dude named Eliphaz. So in the, in the story of Job, you have Job, and most of the book is Job and his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and the other guy whose name I don't remember right now. And they're wrong. Like Eliphaz, who says something true here at the end of the book is totally wrong because he has taken truth and misapplied it in Job's context. So even this wise man is being caught in his own craftiness at the end of the story. And it's just kind of fun. So then, guys, no more boasting in human leaders. You don't belong to them. You belong to God. They are just servants doing the job God has given them to do. It's not worth squabbling over. It's not worth wrecking God's home for. This is God's work. This is God's building. You don't know who you belong to. Grow up. And, and by, the ma- the, by the way, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Not, oh, I'm Paul's, or I follow Paul. No, 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 Paul belongs to you. Apollos belongs to you. So does Peter, Cephas, and, and for that matter, the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. A lot of things that come up in Romans chapter 8. All things belong to you, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Because you are in Jesus, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours in Christ. You are in the Lord of heaven and earth. All authority has been given to Christ. Everything belongs to you. You haven't got that yet. So you're, you're bickering down here when you don't understand that you own everything because you're in Christ. But hey, but Christ is God's. You're God's. So you should be paying attention to him because God ultimately owns everything. It's like on one sense, they, they thought they're... They were so spiritual. They were so high-minded. And Paul's like, no, dude, your feet are stuck in the mud. You don't get it. In the other sense, they are shooting so low, thinking that leaders are going to be the way out. You know, the leaders are going to be the ones that are going to really make them prosper and grow. And so if we divide ourselves by who's a really impressive speaker or, or who's, who's got that system down, who's got the slick ministry and the the fancy decals and everything that's going to make this seem impressive. It's not about that. This is about God. It's about what belongs to him. You belong to him. I belong to him. Everyone belongs to him. Quit arguing. Quit arguing. So we just need to be careful that this is God's work and we should grow up and quit trying to make it about people. So a couple, I mean, there's, there's so many things and his argument is nuanced. Paul is going to go in chapter four and tell them, Guys, you should be imitating me. Like, you want to know what the Christian life looks like? Look at what I do. And then follow it. And it doesn't look like the way that you've been living. Be careful. 
Watch out how you're building in God's church. Like the church is God's master plan. I heard someone say the other day, you want to know how much you love Jesus? Well, how well do you do loving this church? This is God's temple. And there's a reward for building here. You are God's field. So everyone who has influence, be careful. This is God's. And one day he's going to come home, ultimately, take a look around, and he's going to say, this stays and this needs to go. Because this is, this is some shoddy work right here. So we can invest our lives in ways that matter or ways that don't. And so as just one quick application, we have filled our time up. I don't know how you're filling your time, but you have used all 24 hours God gave you yesterday. And, you know, your day is about halfway over today. We have the same amount of time. Somehow we fill it. And we are given the choice. We can fill it with things that matter, that will last, will bring us a reward or we can fill it with stuff that doesn't matter. So, I mean, just real quick, if you want to know what's going to last forever, God, God's word, and people. People destined for eternity with God or eternity apart from God. So if you want to do work that lasts, invest well in knowing and worshiping and serving God and knowing his word, meditating on it and letting it guide and instruct you and investing in people. Be careful how you build. So perhaps we could think about like maybe there's that church service that we have really enjoyed going to. Uh, You know, you come in, the lights are dimmed, the fog machine is rolling across the stage. There's lights and sound and music and you feel so good and so spiritual. Your, Your spirit is just lifted to the heights of heaven and you raise your arms because you're that kind of awesome Christian who does those kinds of things. And then the speaker comes up, he sounds something close to Suli and you're like, I could listen to you all day long. You make me feel so good. And you're just so excited week after week to show up because this is a place where you feel so good and you fail to realize that you have made your entire spirituality all about you. And you put down people from other churches, well, because we've got that teacher and boy, isn't he great. And we've got that ministry and boy, isn't he great. And you fail to realize that if you really wanted to follow Jesus, show up in your church, turn the lights on and take a look at the people around you and serve and invest in them together. Because it's, uh, it's not about you. And it's not about me. It's about God. This is his work. This is his kingdom. So, when we look at other, you know, like here, it's not about Pastor Bob and the way he did it. And it's not about Jared and the way that he did it. And it's not about me. It's not about Drew or Ray or Sterling. Like if there's things in this church you don't like, guys, welcome to the club. Because it's not ours. It's God's. And if we're all working together and all using our gifts, then just it's going to happen that our preferences will not always get met. Take a deep breath and, and let's go together. Our preferences may not get met because it's not about us. It's about God. Let's be careful about the work that we're doing and let's be careful to do work that lasts because this is God's. He's the one who makes things grow. I can come up here and I can preach at you all day. But if the Spirit of God doesn't show up to make dead things alive and make things grow I mean I it's not going to accomplish anything nothing and I know that and we need to just quit trying to make it about people it's not about us it's not about our leaders it's about God and his work and being faithful so one last word on the notion of growing up we are not meant to stay spiritual infants 
Like it's not once saved, always saved, good enough, enjoy life. It's, yeah, once saved, always saved. We can talk more about that if you have questions. But then grow and mature and become an adult in ministry, an adult in life. And what is the difference between an infant and an adult? Well, one of the easy ones is an infant is one of the most selfish creatures you have ever encountered, as all you new parents quickly realize. Like, if they don't get what they need, they will let you know about it in no uncertain terms. Like, everything is about them. You have to take care of them, meet all of their needs all the time. It's just about them. Whereas an adult is able to say, no, I can use what I have to serve and give others, to bear fruit, to be fruitful, to be mature. And as much as I wish otherwise, you don't go from being an infant to an adult all at once. So along the, the spectrum of infant, child, adolescent, adult, I don't know where you guys are at this morning. But I would encourage you to think about what one step towards maturity might be for you. I don't know what that is. If you're an adult and you're like, well, I'm here and I'm mature, what should I be about? Making fruit, investing your life in people, serving others. If you're on the more adolescent side, begin to take responsibility. Begin to practice adulthood. If you're in the child sense, like learn, grow, be studying the scriptures, be praying, begin to practice some of those things that will develop you later on. If you're an infant, I hope not, but there are people I've known who have been a Christian for 30 years and are still wearing spiritual diapers, so to speak. It's time, time to change, man. It's time to change. So some questions we can ask. One, stop being babies. Instead, grow into maturity. What is one step towards Christ that I need to make? Question for you guys to consider. And quit boasting. Quit making it about leaders, about ministry, about what church, like Family of Grace, is not in competition against all the other churches in the Portland metro area. We're not. We are all working in God's field together. We all have a job to do. So praise God for them. They're doing amazing things. Am I more concerned with distinguishing myself, either by who I'm associated with, who I've studied under, the church that I go to, whatever it is? Distinguishing myself from others than I am with serving God and loving his people? And we need to quit tearing down the church with divisions, with strife, and with worldly wisdom. And this one is hard. It's hard sometimes to assess how is the wisdom of the world making its way into the church of God. Some, some ways are a little easier to see. The churches that say we need to water down the gospel, we need to stop talking about sin, we need to stop talking about Jesus as much, and just try to make this as attractive to everybody as possible by losing everything that makes us distinctive in the first place. Don't do that. But also, quit tearing down with divisions. If there's something here that you don't like, I'm sorry. There's things here I don't like. We can talk about it, please. But, but this is God's building. God blesses unity. He doesn't, he doesn't bless, some, again, from the conference, he doesn't bless methods. He blesses unity. It is far more important that we are on the same page loving one another and just doing what we're doing then we are bickering about what might be better. Because if you rend apart the church of God, God will destroy you. Be warned. So how, are, how am I going to show my love for Jesus by how I love his church? 
How do we invest our lives in things that matter, in people, in God's word, in God? Because again, Paul just is warning us to be careful. This is God's work, and so we need to grow up, and we need to quit making it about people. So I'm going to give you guys a couple minutes to just think. The Family of Grace Fellowship is located at 12414 East Burnside, Portland, Oregon, 97233. We invite you to our weekly Sunday service at 1030 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at familyofgracepdx.org. Thank you for listening.